I would say that our political moment and our political system affords us to say that single issue voting is legitimate um, because there is a stark contrast between the two parties when it comes to issues like abortion. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding. This is the place where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. And I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. It's my pleasure to be with you again. Our goal in every episode is to consider some aspect of the news and the world we live in and do our best to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And today we're going to do that when it comes to one of the more difficult questions, that is voting. As we all know, 2024 is an election year. And that means there will be much wailing and gnashing of teeth and arguing about what it means to vote like a Christian. What disqualifies a candidate for Christians? What are the minimum qualifications a Christian should require of a candidate before we consider voting for them? Are there minimum qualifications? Now, when you have an important ethical question like this one, of course, you need to go find an ethics professor to help you answer them. So joining me today is Dr. Andrew Walker, who, among other things, is an associate professor of Christian ethics and public theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Andrew, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, Joseph, it's great to be with you, man. Well, um, the reason that uh, we have you on today is because, you know, as we as we sunset 2023 here and we look into 2024, I, I don't know if it's ever not election season, frankly, these days, but we know that we are kind of moving intensely into 2024, which will be dominated by yet another presidential election. Um, and increasingly, it looks like it could be, again, a repeat of 2020, where Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump face off again. And of course, that brings up all sorts of issues. And one of the questions, especially in the church, that we have to think about is how do we make this choice in a way that is consistent with our um, with our value system? And you've been writing and thinking about this, and I want to walk through with you some of the, the suggestion, the framework that you're calling a voting triage for Christians and some mm-hmm. suggested advice for how to think about this. And uh, the first one is you say that Christians should aspire to vote for the candidate or platform they believe best pursues and approximates biblical righteousness and biblical justice. Tell us a little bit more about that one. Sure. So, I mean, you think about um, behind any uh, rational purpose behind voting should be the idea that you're actually voting for your self-interest and and self-interest sounds self-motivated and egotistical but what i mean by that is you should be voting in the direction of promoting the good um it seems extremely counterintuitive to vote for something that would knowingly be to your harm um if i can bring this back to actually a more foundational ethics level um there's this there's this principle um, that Thomas Aquinas came up with, you know, almost a thousand years ago, called the first principle of practical reason. And he said that all rational action is action that pursues the good and seeks to avoid the evil. And so that's kind of the the, the foundational beginning point for how we would think about who are we going to vote for? It, it should be towards policies that uplift, towards principles that pursue justice, 
Um, and obviously, as Christians, um, we have a particular conception of what justice is. Um, we don't believe in progressive you know, labels just like social justice, because we think that social justice is a thing, but it has to be defined by how the Bible defines justice. And justice, first and foremost, begins with um, grounding it in the character and nature and will of God, um, both in his uh, revealed will and then also what we can tell in creation order as well. And so you're thinking here, as a Christian enters the voting booth, they ought to be thinking through, okay, how can I use my agency towards good ends? And in a Christian understanding of voting, this is not just self-motivated. It's not just self-interested for Christians alone, but this is a reflection of what we think is true of the whole entire created universe that God has created. And so whenever we are voting for justice, we think that is justice for every single person. So that the, the principles that we're seeking to promote and ensconce in law is not just about Christian self-interest. This is about genuinely seeking the common good, loving our neighbor, uh, and one way to do that, the only way, but one way to do that is through voting. Now, you mentioned there kind of the, the Aquinas framework of you know seeking the good and um, opposing evil, and of course that's kind of the framework that Romans 13 establishes as well. And that begs the question yep. about how we define what good is and what evil is. And do you think that's kind of the fundamental yep. question and kind of the partisan differences is, I think everybody in the abstract would agree with that framework. We're going to promote what is good. We're going to discourage what is evil. But increasingly, yeah. as we lose a shared value system, we don't agree about what is good and what is evil. And is that what makes the voting question hard? Yeah, no, no, totally. And and I love that we're we're actually getting at the crux of the debate. That a lot of times we think that the voting issue is just this kind of ephemeral surface level thing where there really aren't that much differences between Republicans and Democrats. And for our for our sake, I'm not really interested in litigating Republican versus Democrat um, because labels can change over time. What I'm interested in litigating is is the worldview behind the respective platforms of the parties that individuals can choose um, to vote for. And so that's where we're needing to kind of dig deeper and to ask, okay, well, what is the nature of the conflict? And as my friend Jonathan Lehman likes to talk about, um, these are not just, we're, we're not just debating, um, well, well, we are debating tax rates and um, the best way to educate your child. But underneath that, we're actually having, you know, climactic cosmic debates over first principles, over right. is justice. And so this is where Jonathan Lehman talks about how really politics is the battleground of gods, where everyone is taking their gods and they're doing battle with someone else's gods. And so I, I mentioned in the very first question, this this label social justice. Well, everyone should be for social justice. The problem is, is that progressives and secularists mean something diametrically opposed when they say social justice from what a Christian means when they say social justice. If, if you can use language like reproductive justice to basically secure political rights 
to murder your unborn child, the Christian is then going to look at that and say, well, to look at that and say, I want to call that, which it's evil, it's not justice. And so we believe that justice, again, is, is rendering to God what is owed to God. That's, that's, the, that's the fundamental orientation that a Christian has with justice. What, what is owed to God? Because God is the author of the universe. Okay, then if that's the case, and then God has revealed himself, both in his word and in nature, for the Christian to, to do justice is to align ourselves with the pattern of God's revelation in terms of what God establishes as just. Yeah. I would maybe make a semantic argument with the idea that we, that social justice is even a thing. I, I think that justice is necessarily individualized. And at least the concept of social justice as we understand it today is we should we should pursue justice for groups, not for individuals. Right. And when you pursue yeah. justice for groups rather than individuals, that means the individuals are not treated as individuals. They are treated as members of a group. Therefore, yeah, you will totally. either be, be rewarded based on your group identity or you will be punished based on your group identity. And I would argue that is inherently unjust. Yeah, no, you're so this is actually getting um, at, a, at a good debate around the concept of social justice. Um, you can make the argument that social justice is actually a, a redundant concept because justice by nature is distributive. And what I mean by that is when, you know, if, if I am called to do justice to Joseph Backholm, that means I am called to relate to you and to treat you as a person properly according to God's standards. And so for me to treat you justly is inherently a social product, uh, project, and it's a relational project. Um, but you're totally right if we're thinking about this semantically. Social justice, as the left uses it, collapses um, individuality into group dynamics, and individuals get kind of um, sublimated into the group and they lose their identity. And that's where we just go off the rails. Yeah. And I think rewarding somebody because of their skin color or their gender um, is inherently unjust, just like punishing them for their skin color right. or their gender is inherently unjust. We need to know who they are, what they have done, what they as individuals based on their character and their actions deserve. But that is something of a tangent. And I'm going to get us back on schedule here um, because again, yeah. the first question you ask or the first piece of advice is Christians should aspire to vote for a candidate or platform they believe best pursues and approximates biblical righteousness and biblical justice. That is what they should do. Now, your second step is kind of advice about what we should avoid doing. And you say that yeah. Christians should avoid willfully and knowingly voting for candidates or platforms that undermine first tier creation order issues that include the dignity and nature of human life, support for the natural family, and the ability to exercise one's faith. So there's a lot there. We should yeah. avoid undermining first tier creation order issues. Break that down for us. Yeah. No, and I'm, I really appreciate you um, asking this question. What I'm getting at here is, is um, again, beginning from the posture of we are to seek justice, we should be then asking a question. Is the candidate or the platform that we're potentially going to vote for, 
is that candidate or platform or that party going to pursue a known and unambiguous evil, a known and unambiguous injustice that is an attack on the very fabric of creation order. And when I talk about creation order, I'm talking about the very superstructure upon which society is built upon. We're not talking about tax rates or sugar subsidies. We're talking about the most foundational pillars for human civilization if human civilization is going to thrive. And so you you, you read out kind of the specific pillars that I addressed, and one of those was the nature of the human person. So there I'm thinking in, in regards to abortion, thinking in regards to the nature of male and female. Um, I mentioned uh, support for the natural family, meaning is is the agenda of the candidate or platform seeking to redefine and state falsehoods about the family. And if you get the family wrong, or let me back up, if you get the person wrong and you get life and existence wrong and you get the family wrong, um, let me just suggest to you that you have actually um, inverted the very purpose of why we have politics to begin with, because politics is about promoting the common good and loving your neighbor. You can't promote the common good and love your neighbor by saying that your neighbor should not have a right to exist or to uh, deny their right to grow up in a household with a married mother and father. These are foundational. And if we get those wrong, you're getting the entire fabric of a political community wrong from the start. And then that third principle was effectively, you could call freedom of religion and belief or freedom of conscience, the idea that um, for us to enter into society, we are entering into society um, on the grounds that our consciences uh, are ordered towards truth. Now, individuals misunderstand the truth all the time, but all that to say, it's incumbent upon political societies to recognize that individuals arrive at their convictions on their own and not coercively. And if a political community or a candidate or a platform is seeking to compel the conscience, coerce the conscience, uh, pave over the conscience, um, you're you're actually, I think, doing damage to that actually that first principle of support for the, the nature of the human person. The nature of the human person is is by nature the type of being that seeks to live faithfully with the truth as best as they can understand the truth. Yeah. And so what I'm getting at here, Joseph, with the second principle is um, you should not knowingly support candidates or policies that are attacking these foundational pillars. And if you are, um, I think that's an occasion for you to be confronted about that and to repent. You know, I think there are those who will take issue with your suggestion that your pet issues are the first tier issues. Sure. These are the ones that are really important. That's part of the disagreement. But um, sure. I would refer those folks back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, because that is the tiny, in terms of words, little glimpse we get into a world before sin entered the world. So the first right. two chapters of Genesis, uh, there were no sins. Sin comes into Genesis chapter 3. And we see how God ordered creation. What he did is he declared that he made us male and female. Then he put a man together and man, a man together. And there was the first marriage. And then he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. 
and then to rule and subdue and to take dominion over the creation that he had made. Now, I think that those being laid down as the pillars of creation and God did all of that and he said it is good. And that is the that is the world. Once sin is removed, that we will return to because that is the intended design that God had in a world without sin. So I do think it is a defensible biblical position to say these are the things that are supremely important. We might disagree about, you know, the whether we should be able to, you know, carry arms in public or carry arms at all, and how we feel about tax rates and various environmental regulations. And there's all sorts of things that we can kind of quibble about, but I do think that it's defensible to suggest the the issues that God raised in Genesis 1 and 2, marriage, gender, be, be fruitful and multiply like children, the nature of life and family, um, do have significance for creation more than others. And if you agree with me on that, um, what would you describe as the second tier issues then that would distract us or perhaps confuse us and cause us to focus on things that are less important than the first tier issues. So, uh, and I don't want to make this sound as though I'm devaluing the significance of these issues, but like, let's take, let's take socialism versus capitalism. Um, I'm a fervent advocate for capitalism. I can understand why a socialist thinks that their program is going to bring about a degree of human flourishing. Um, I and, and I think what a, an intellectually honest approach would say, even if you disagree with socialism, a socialist and a capitalist is, is trying to arrange a political economy where everyone's able to thrive. What we're really disagreeing with are the conditions that best promote someone's thriving. Uh, or maybe we'll we'll even make this dial down one one level more specific. Let's take like a national healthcare system versus a privatized healthcare system. I would support a privatized healthcare system. I also know Christians who value their nationalized healthcare system who live in the UK. Um, what I want to get after is that's a reasonable area for Christians to disagree because those are actually. I, you know, second or even third tier issues that flow downstream um, from even more primordial issues like what is the human person? If you don't get the human person correct, then it really doesn't matter whether you have a privatized healthcare system or a socialized healthcare system because there are no people to begin with. Uh, so that's what I'm getting at. Uh, and that's, please hear me, that's not to to, to create this kind of um, mass equality between the two systems. I think that there are massive problems with a, a national healthcare approach. Uh, but I'm getting at, I think that a Christian could come to a different opinion about something like uh, healthcare, and that doesn't make them knowingly pursuing an evil. It's when someone is saying, well, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I am knowingly voting for the candidate who is going to promote and further abortion, I would say, well, I think you're mistaken about that. That's a that's a that's a, an apples and oranges different type of of issue than something like the type of healthcare that a nation state mm -hmm. uh, chooses to have. 
I think right there you've already gotten into the third point of your four voting triage points, which is Christians can reasonably disagree on political candidates and platforms where the dispute is not related to the pursuit of an intended evil. And and so the, these ideas with national healthcare systems, and, and to be sure, I think every debate over the appropriate way to administer healthcare is coming from a shared assumption that we believe people should have health care and have access right. to health care. And it's just the best way of accomplishing that goal. But, but the goal is not actually in dispute. Um, but when right. it comes to, you know, cutting off the genitals of 14 year olds to address, you know, mental health challenges, are the goals the same there? Yeah, exactly. So someone's calling that good. Right. That's that's the progressive understanding of the good is is autonomy, expressive individualism, living with whatever identity you want to embrace. That's not a good um, in, a, in a Christian worldview. In fact, that is a, a moral privation. It's a moral evil to knowingly take the body and harm it. And so that's where you want to say to a Christian, well, um, I understand that you might favor this person's economic policy because they are doing X, Y, or Z. But have you considered that when you support, when you use your agency to support this economic system that you like, you're also propping up uh, an individual who is, you know, who's in the back pocket of big pharma who wants to, you know, you know, uh, bring hormone replacement therapy to the youth of this, of this country. That's, that's deeply problematic. Um, I'm thinking here as well, you know, I'm a, I'm a very, very strong second amendment advocate. Um, I also know Christians in other countries who are just not comfortable with guns. And they said to me, what's with Americans and their gun culture? Uh, and I, and I get it. Like, and, and why is that? Because we have a constitution that bestows a second amendment, right? And some other nations don't have that second amendment. And so familiarity with, with guns and having a gun culture is just not a part of some of these Christians experiences. And so I want to be able to say to my, my Christian brother or sister who kind of is like, well, you know, I, I don't think people should own guns. Uh, I would say, well, I disagree um, with with that proposition. I think you know, gun ownership is actually a, 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 a you know a matter of self protection and self defense. But I don't think that you are doing catastrophic moral evil by expressing concern about gun ownership. Right. Um, possessing, not owning a gun, uh, is is a Again, an apples and oranges different discussion from someone saying, "Oh, actually, um, it could be okay to vote for people that want to kill kill babies and cut off ba body parts of teenagers." There's no legitimate um, agree to disagree on that on those particular issues like that. And and there's also no biblical requirement that thou must you know open carry or thou must own an AR-15, <laughs> right? So, I mean, there is some kind of, I mean, I think you can make a good biblical argument for self-defense and the pacifists would disagree sure. with that, but that's that's certainly a minority position within the church. But sure. there are, we have to recognize the strong cultural differences that exist in Texas as compared to, you know, South Korea or Australia, where they are, certainly brothers and sisters in Christ and no less committed to the gospel and no less Christians, but the context in which we are raised and we live 
um, influences how we think about issues uh, like guns, and and we shouldn't pretend that this is more of a biblical issue than Scripture allows us to. So, Andrew, I'm going to go to the fourth point you make in your in your voting triage, which is Christians can conscientiously abstain from voting or vote for an alternate candidate if neither candidate or platform satisfies criteria one or two, which means if neither of them are pursuing biblical righteousness and biblical justice, and um, neither of them are then necessarily pursuing evil, they can abstain for other reasons. Yes? Yeah, no, totally. So, you know, I've, I've been, um, I, I've been contacted by believers in Canada where there is really no pro-life um, witness that's strong within the political platforms of Canada. And so they asked me, okay, what obligations do I have to vote? Um, and, I, and I said, well, you know, if, if both parties are knowingly pursuing the destruction of other human beings, I don't think that you have a moral obligation um, to, to vote because if that's, if that's burdening your conscience to the point where you're feeling uncomfortable, I think first and foremost, you should always honor your conscience just as a basic principle. Um, so that means you could principally abstain from voting, meaning not vote, or you could um, work to, or you could write in a candidate, um, or you could work to advance the cause of a third party candidate who would be seeking to bring reformation to the issues that are keeping you from being able to vote for either one of the two major parties uh, in, in that particular hypothetical situation. Now we're going to get down to the uh, brass tacks of all of this, Andrew, because as we record this and have this conversation, we are looking at the possibility, or right now it looks like a likelihood, that we are going to choose between Joe Biden and Donald Trump again. And there are Christians who would look at this and who would say, well, Donald Trump is so mean to people that he denies their humanity and he, you know, essentially denies the, you know, treats them like they are not actually made in the image of God and therefore he is ineligible uh, for my vote. Therefore, mm -hmm. I, uh, and, and that offends me less than whatever things that, you know, Joe Biden does. And, uh, you know, I, I disagree with him on abortion, but he seems to be nicer to people, so I may vote for him instead. And then there are others who would say, well, Joe Biden supports abortion, which he unambiguously does. And I think that Donald Trump is, you know, a mean guy sometimes, but I think that is less bad mm -hmm. than, than the abortion issue. Uh, what is the Christian way to navigate that imperfect choice? Yeah, th thanks for saving the hardest question for the last one, Joseph, definitely. <laughs> so I think the, the biggest thing I would want to begin to work through here is um, with the case of someone like Joe Biden, um, whether you think he's grandfatherly and kind and civil, uh, you can think that if you'd like. Uh, at the end of the day, he is beholden to a party and a platform that is going to be working to ensconce positive, unambiguous evil in our system's laws. Um, it's my own personal conviction that I don't think a born-again Christian can vote for Joe Biden. Um, at the same time, uh, Donald Trump is 
a, a, a person whose personal character and ethics I can't defend uh, because of how he has lived his life. Uh, but there are realities with someone like Donald Trump when you have a platform and a party that uh, is not as morally fallen as the Democratic platform is fallen. Um, so I think in this situation, uh, I'm not I, I still wouldn't say to, let me let me let me say this. If I'm saying that a Christian cannot or should not vote for Joe Biden, that is not me kind of doing a, a flipping the coin and saying, therefore, you must vote for Donald Trump. Um, I do want to have a degree of conscience freedom that says if you are genuinely upset and concerned um, about his instincts, about his personality, you should honor your conscience. But all things considered, if you compare the platform um, and the personnel between the Republican agenda and the Democratic agenda, they are apples and oranges as far as the severity of the parties and the platforms contravening God's revealed will um, when it comes to issues of moral righteousness. Yeah. And I think we have a very good, you know, sample of that over the last and um, what's now seven years, but four years of Trump and three years of Biden. Um, you know, we we hear talk about the uniparty often, and and I think we understand what they mean in terms of everybody's just kind of preserving their power, and there's a bit of cooperation just to just to maintain the status quo in Washington D.C. for those who benefit from it. But from a policy perspective, there is no doubt that there are tangible, practical differences on the ground uh, that affect people's lives, and you know, I mean, just look to the Supreme Court and in the way that works itself out. Uh, Andrew, another question that I think needs to be addressed here is whether it's wrong to be a single issue voter, because a lot of people would look at the like the issue of life, and sometimes we Christians are kind of looked down on as rubes and Neanderthals for saying, well, it's, if you're ever pro-abortion, I can't vote for you, and that's just kind of a simplistic way of evaluating political candidates in their minds. What say you to the question of being a single issue voter? I would say that our political moment and our political system affords us to say that single issue voting is legitimate um, because there is a stark contrast between the two parties when it comes to issues like abortion. Um, and I am concerned right now, Joseph, with the recent political losses that have been occurring in the states. I am concerned that the Republican Party is going to adopt something like a safe, legal, and rare approach um, in the coming months or years. So I, I reserve the right to have my analysis right here kind of be temporal in nature. Um, but let's dial back and just establish this. As of right now, the major party, the major party candidates and the major party platforms are having starkly irreconcilable views on the issue of human dignity. Um, one party uh, supports the destruction of 60 million human beings and wants to continue having access to that type of destruction. One party wants to either eliminate it, abolish it, or seek to restrict it. Um, and I want to be unapologetic in saying that abortion is the human rights crisis of our time. Um, and, you know, we're living in a time where everyone seems to understand that the Holocaust was wrong in the 1940s. Uh, I would simply say if it was wrong in the 1940s, uh, 
uh, it's wrong in the 2020s as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a, a principle of consistency in 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 how that's worked out. Uh, and so if they call us simpletons for viewing the world in simple stark white, uh, black white binaries like that, then so be it. I also think that uh, maybe the 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 framing of being a single issue voter is um, not always helpful. I prefer to think of it as minimum qualifications for office. Um, because good. if you, you know, any job that you have, it's like, well, I might like you, you might be a good neighbor, but I'm not necessarily going to hire you to do my brain surgery, or you're not going to do my taxes if you don't know how to do any kind of accounting. And so with like political candidates, it's like, I have some bare minimum qualifications. You can't be a child molester. You can't want to cut the genitals off of children to resolve their, their mental distress. And I don't think you should, you know, favor the dismemberment of a child 24 hours before it would otherwise be born. Um, Those are just beneath the standard. There may be other things I, I agree with you on, but to me that disqualifies you for the job. So you're not going to be hired. And that might be a um, maybe a helpful way to people kind of to think through the issue of single issue voter uh, syndrome that we we should have standards for the people that we vote for. And, you know, the, the challenge is they should be character standards on some level and certainly policy standards and in, in how Christians um, balance those things when there uh, don't appear to be perfect choices um, is one of the is, is one of the challenges that we have to deal with. Now, Andrew. I want to um, also, I want to um, kind of work through this this voting criteria. You've also talked recently just kind of about the um, threat and the collapse of institutions in general, um, the, specifically in the context of Trump, this idea that he seems to be like ascending the more, you know, pressure he gets from the establishment, the more uh, indictments that are brought against him. And I'm not sure that's because... They really haven't opened both barrels on him in a campaign season yet, and and he's kind of behind the scenes a little bit, which I think will inevitably help him politically until he gets out in front. Um, but you you seem to think that um, you know the, something you said on Twitter, I guess it's X now, that the organs of liberal democracy are actually failing with these institutions and the and the distrust therein. Uh, tell us more about why you think that is. Sure. So I mean, I I mean, I think that. Um... You know, what Christianity has afforded American life is a sense of moral posture. And by moral posture, I mean that it provides America and American institutions with a broad framework um, to think about issues of justice within, to think about moral objectivity, to think about having clear, consistent limiting principles with your morality. Uh, And let's just take one example uh, that's in the news right now, the issue uh, that we've seen happen with the three you know, elite university presidents um, who are testifying before Congress and couldn't muster up the courage to say that threats of genocide would um, violate their campus's free speech policies. Um, these are the same institutions that if you or I went to their quad and said that marriage is the union of one man and one woman, um, we would have been probably kicked off of campus. We would have been probably physically been and there would have been no problem for those university administrators to say that our speech 
by the, the, sh the sheer nature of the speech itself is doing violence to individuals. Um, but when it comes time to, you know, saying things like, um, you know, from the ocean to the sea, uh, you know, intifada, those things aren't, you know, harassing language. Uh, that that makes the average reasonable observer, uh, their eyes roll back in the back of their head. Uh, and so it's that type of cynicism uh, that I think is corrosive to American identity. Um, when the Biden administration is uh, basically having a two-tier justice system, if you're a Black Lives Matter protester or if you're a pro-life advocate, it sends the it sends the message to the the average citizen that the system is rigged against you. That as long as you have the right type of political viewpoints uh, in your back pocket, then you're going to curry more favor when that party is in power. Um, and and the reason that that's problematic is not because it's fundamentally a violation of the Constitution, which it is. It's it's a sin. It's it's the sin of partiality. Uh, it's a failure to administer and to distribute justice equally. Um, and, and, you know, as a Christian theologian and someone who studies and looks at the interaction of law and Christianity, it's indisputable. The rule of law is a concept derived from Christian thought. Um, so as you see the rule of law, equality of law begin to crumble. Um, that is just one additional signal uh, of Christianity's increasing uh, lack of influence in American public life. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at that situation where, you know, calling for a genocide is an issue of speech, but the non-preferred pronouns is violence as, right. you know, inherently a two legs good, four legs better. I'm I'm, I'm forgetting my Orwell reference there from Animal Farm uh, temporarily, but it, it, it just it seems intuitively um, unjust and unfair. But Andrew, it also raises the question because we've spent most of our conversation here talking about elections but now this idea that our institutions are failing because we don't have a shared value system anymore of like certain things are true and we generally agree about what those things are. And then certain things are are harmful and we generally agree about what those things are. Is that something we can vote our way out of? No, absolutely not. Um, I don't want to end this necessarily on a really dark <laughs> dystopic note, um, but apart from the American moral ecology getting a healthy re rejuvenation um, and spiritual awakening of that comes from Christianity. Uh, I, I don't see that America will be turning a corner because uh, you know the, the default posture of, of of the nations and of humankind is one of of devolution and retrograde and into falling into doing what is right in your own eyes to use the language of scripture. And whenever a civilization collectively does what is right and in its, in its own eyes and not in the eyes of God, um, when we dishonor God, the creator, uh, we cannot do that in perpetuity and think that will thrive. And despite the, uh, you know, the perhaps somber note there, I think that is it, that it's clear eyed. And but also as, as believers and disciples, what we have to remember is that, you know, the kingdom of God is much bigger than 
our cultural challenges and in our political challenges and in, in our American experience. And to the extent that America has been a blessing to the world, and it certainly has, it's because we've embraced things that were true, that are true. And that's why we've experienced this blessing in the Western world and prosperity and individual freedom and, and human rights and human dignity that previously had, had not been realized in in the human experience um but uh dr andrew walker we uh we are out of time for today but i really am a, I'm, I'm grateful for your insight on these things for those who want to uh, hear more from you how can they connect with you yeah i think i'm most active uh on twitter or i guess we now call it x uh, i'm simply at andrew t walk andrew t walk and andrew thank you so much for your time it's been a great conversation and uh look forward to doing it again sometime thanks joseph and friends, we thank you for joining us as well. If you have learned something and enjoyed this, share it with a friend, and that will be helpful to them. Also, make sure you like and subscribe, particularly if you're finding us on iTunes. The algorithm there has changed. So if you do not subscribe, you will cease to be delivered this outstanding content here on Outstanding. And remember, there are new episodes every Wednesday every Tuesday and Friday, excuse me. Also, uh, this is entirely a listener-supported effort. If you'd like to make sure this continues into the future, text the word OUTSTANDING to 67742, and you'll have the opportunity to support it there. You can always email me at outstanding at washingtonstand.com to suggest content for future shows. And it's been my pleasure to be with you. Look forward to next time. And until then, I'm Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.